0: We get a weakness. You gotta see this. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with
1: Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax,
2: and be informed. Welcome to a special episode of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be joined by Hunter Atkins, and we're going to sit down and talk a little basketball, a little NBA Finals, which tip off Thursday evening in Golden State, and uh, there's no one better than... To talk NBA Finals with then Jeff Van Gundy, and if you recall, Coach Jeff Van Gundy joined us on episode 89 of the podcast uh, to discuss the uh, NBA playoffs before they tipped off. And uh, Coach Van Gundy is going to join us for about 30 minutes. We're going to talk everything from uh, you know the Cavaliers, whether or not they have a puncher's chance in this series. Uh, what does LeBron James' legacy look like after bringing a team to the NBA Finals for the seventh consecutive season? And what are the matchup scenarios? Uh, do the Cavs have any sort of matchup advantages against uh, the Warriors, or is it essentially a, a lock? The Warriors are going to claim their second title in three years, but uh, we have a, an amazing uh, interview with Jeff Van Gundy come up uh, here in just a few moments, and uh, I don't want to bore you with an introduction. That, that's not what we're here for. We're here for uh, a great interview to preview the NBA Finals, and so without further ado, here's Jeff Van Gundy.
0: You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time.
2: You got it. Excited to be here. So before we get into
0: the uh, NBA Finals, I just wanted to do a quick note on ProVision. Uh, I wrote a story about you, you know, two weekends ago it came out. Uh, just for any Houston audience that may not know, why is it that you wanted to get involved with that school? Like, where were you kind of at in your life? And uh, what are the bigger issues that this this charter school, which is in the Sunnyside neighborhood of Houston, uh, addresses?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for bringing notice uh, to people, uh, both the students who are underserved and the staff who give so much for so little recognition. So uh, the story is really about those students who don't have the advantages uh, that a lot of children have and yet have this passion to succeed. And Roy Nell Young, who was the founder of ProVision some 30 years ago, and who still is a, a major presence at the school, what's happened is is that these uh, children first started. There's four components. There's the uh, academics, obviously, uh, which we're proud of, but there is a manhood and a womanhood development program. Uh, that is critical to character building. Uh, there is an internship program so that uh, the more uh, high qualified and uh, students can go out in the summers and find jobs. This summer we have four uh, members of the community who are going to actually work at MD Anderson um, in, in a clinic and lab and so that's uh incredibly uh exciting and then the fourth is our urban farm where we work on aquaponics program they all work together uh to give these young people uh, opportunities uh for success and advancement and to be their best selves and Roy Nell young and his staff hunter as you well documented in your article uh, which i would encourage everyone to go and read uh They're selfless. Uh, He is, like I said, he was a pro football player. And then in his transition into his second life, he's given everything he's had uh, to the youth of Sunnyside uh, and to the underserved. And for that, uh, he deserves our deepest gratitude uh, because it's truly an exceptional man doing exceptional things.
0: Awesome. I uh, appreciate you giving our audience a little preview about what that's all about and uh, a very generous plug. Austin, why don't you lead with the uh, the first question about the finals?
2: Yeah, so coach, a few weeks ago when we spoke with you on the podcast, you had told us uh, before the playoffs even started that the Warriors were the prohibitive favorites and that it would take uh, sort of kind of an unknown circumstance to take place if any team was to compete. And, you know, now we're here for the third straight years, Cav Warriors. It's a series that you're going to call starting on Thursday night. Uh, Vegas has the Warriors as the prohibitive favorites. Do the Cavs have any chance in the series?
1: Well, they have LeBron James. And when you have LeBron James, you have a chance. Now, I think it would still take something uh, unexpected for the Warriors not to win it I think their talent differential that the Warriors start out with each and every game and each and every series is the largest talent differential I've seen in my time in the NBA uh, they're just absolutely uh, loaded and blessed with exceptional talent but we've seen LeBron James at his very best be able to absolutely dominate a series And I think Cleveland's best opportunity is for James to do that and them to shoot the three ball uh, over the next couple weeks at an exceptional clip. If they can do that, uh, they have a puncher's chance. But I just don't see it as a big chance because I think when you have Curry and Durant and Green and Thompson as your core four guys, It's going to be very difficult because they're so good at both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, you know, you just mentioned the the starting five of those guys. I don't really see how the matchups could be handled by the Cavs. When you think about just the Cavs trying to defend those guys and maybe even trying to defend the second unit of the Warriors, outside of LeBron, it's just, it it does seem to be an unfavorable matchup in each one on one, you know, opportunity for a for who the Cavs are going to try to guard?
1: There'll be a lot of cross matches, Hunter, in this whole series in that because both teams switch a lot of screening actions, you're going to see some matchups. And one that Cleveland tried to exploit last year and did a good job of is when they would bring Curry's man up to screen and try to force a switch uh, onto LeBron James. And when it happened, it put uh, Golden State in a huge predicament Plus, it allowed Cleveland to control tempo. I'm interested to see how they defend those screening actions this year. If they try to avoid the switch uh, of Curry onto James, I'm sure they will. Um, And then what Cleveland does to try to manipulate the matchups to give them their best chance. Because, like you said, if it's just a game that goes up and down uh, and... Both teams are able to create pretty good shots. Golden State just has too much. Cleveland has to do something uh, to change the tone and tenor of the matchup into their advantage. going to be a challenge for them to do, but with LeBron James, like I said before, you have a chance because he's the most unique player in the NBA.
0: Just to sort of zero in on the matchups even more individually, I'm I'm thinking other than LeBron, like, how does Kevin Love guard somebody like Kevin Durant if they're matched up, right? How does Kyrie Irving guard anybody on the uh, the perimeter for the Warriors? Like, just to like, zero in on the guys independent of LeBron, they specifically have really bad matchups. Or am I being am I exaggerating? Do you actually think that you know this is the time of year where a player like Kevin Love can pull it together? where, you know, J.R. Smith can focus and hunker down. Like, specifically the, the auxiliary players, can they, I don't know, cobble it together to defend well enough against who they have to match up with?
1: Well, I'd be interested, A, to see what the initial matchups are. Does Kyrie Irving guard Klay Thompson or Steph Curry? Uh, who does J.R. Smith, you know, obviously guard after they come up with the Kyrie Irving matchup? You know, Steph Curry, when you put him in the high pick-and-roll... Uh, It's a challenge. I don't care who guards him. Uh, Now, listen, Tristan Thompson was outstanding last year uh, in the series in his ability to move his feet, to switch some of these actions so that he could guard uh, multiple guys. Uh, But, listen, when Golden State downsizes and puts Draymond Green at the five, unless Kevin Love's at the five, I don't see how they can keep him on the floor. Um, because does he then guard Iguodala? Maybe. Sean Livingston? Yes, because he's closer to the basket, but how is Love going to, you know, is he going to feel comfortable guarding a perimeter player? You're right. There are tough matchups all over the place. Golden State's so good, so dynamic, that you really can't think of it in terms of one-on-one defense, although that's where it starts. Your only chance against Golden State, You have to not turn the ball over. Get back and get your defense set. Try to keep the ball in front of you as best you can. And then when Golden State substitutes, you've got to try to get the ball out of their best player's hands and hope that Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Patrick McCaw, whoever's off their bench, just doesn't make in this series. Because if you're trying to guard everybody equally and 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 limit everybody's efficiency, it's going to be hard to take care of Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Those guys demand double teams.
2: Now, Coach, last year when you look at the uh, the NBA Finals, both teams had kind of I, I guess had high leverage series coming into the finals. There was a, a you know a lot more taxing on the bodies. Uh, you know, of course, the Warriors being pushed. Uh, two seven games in the uh, the Western Conference Finals. This year, it's a different scenario. Warriors went 12-for-12, 12 12, Cavs go 12-for-13. Both teams had nearly a week of rest before heading into Game 1 on Thursday night. Uh, does that favor one team over the other, or does it just kind of make for a more, I guess, enticing series?
1: Well, I think the rest, you know, the rest-rust issue is always a concern for every coach and every team. I think in this case, uh, LeBron James is going to have to be so good and play such big minutes that the added days before the matchup and the added days between games in the finals plays to his advantage. I don't know if it plays to anybody else's advantage, but I think LeBron James will definitely benefit. And I worry that game one, could be a sloppier played game, particularly the first half of game one due to both teams being a little rusty due to all this rest. Uh, It's hard to maintain the rhythm you need to play well in NBA competition. The body, the NBA bodies like a well-oiled machine to do it every other night or to do it every third night. But here, It's not just the rest in this before this series; it's the rest that they've had over the last couple months. In that they barely they played 13 games, what in like a month and a half, or 12 games in Golden State's uh, situation in like 60 days. I mean, it's it's you know 50 days. It's crazy how little they've played because they've been so dominant. So I hope both teams. you know, shake free of the rust early in game one. But I think the rest between games is really a good thing for LeBron James.
0: Well, I mean, for sure. I don't think anybody would argue against that. Um, I want to ask about Steve Kerr. So Kerr's been out because of, you know, the injury to his back. And one of the hot point, uh, the hot takes that a lot of television pundits have offered is that, well, Mike Brown could be, you know, a factor that loses the Warriors, this uh this series. From, you know, your experience as a longtime coach and longtime assistant coach, does not having the head coach on the floor in the most important games actually make a difference?
1: Well I think if the Warriors happen to lose one of their first two home games then Steve Kerr's absence because he's around the team, but his absence during the games, that could be an issue for not because Mike Brown is a lesser coach. Mike Brown's an outstanding coach, taken uh, LeBron to the finals in 2007, been coach of the year, been a long time assistant for Greg Popovich, just a great basketball coach. But I think when you're missing your head coach, it's when you struggle uh, and you have some adversity that you could miss him. Obviously so far in the playoffs, Uh, Steve was around for the first two games uh, and won them both. And then Mike has won the last 10. So they haven't missed Steve uh, during this run of prosperity. But if they lose one of the first two home games, then I would be very interested to see the dynamic to how the Warriors handle uh, being tied going back to Cleveland. Uh, I think that would be an interesting challenge uh, for Mike Brown, for Steve Kerr, and the whole Warrior organization.
0: Well, m- more specifically, I guess, can you offer insight into exactly like what, during the course of one of these finals games, the team might miss from Steve Kerr? And, and what I mean by that is, like, this is such a well-oiled machine at this point, whether it's because this it's the same team that won 73 games last year, plus you add in Kevin Durant, um, Mike Brown has, you know, been around the entire time this season as well. Like, is are there? I, I'm more kind of trying to deconstruct the hot take out there that this really matters. Like, could it actually factor in to how the Warriors play these games that Steve Curry is just not on the floor during the course of the games?
1: I don't think it will have any impact, um, unless they have this point of adversity in a game, in a series that's either tied or they're down in, right? Because that's where you need to rely on an individual's uh, poise and presence. Uh, I don't think it'll, it'll matter. I mean, hot takes are 99% of the time just that, a lot of hot air being blown around, right? So Steve Kerr and his staff, the, they're – together on philosophy or how they guard certain things, what they want to do substitutions, rotations, but if they got down hunter in a series and they were in a game that was tightly contested, you know, can they remain poised and calm uh in a situation of stress or at that time if Steve Kerr's not there Do they sort of lose it a little bit? I think that's the only possibility that uh, Steve Kerr not actually being on the bench could hurt them
2: in this series. Coach, one of the narratives that we've heard for the past few years has been that Kevin Durant has always played second fiddle to LeBron James, and he hasn't been able to get over that hump, especially uh, in the NBA Finals a few years ago when Oklahoma City played uh, the Miami Heat, and I, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, with all the talk of you know Durant going to the Warriors this year and, and playing at an MVP caliber level, uh, if he does get the championship with the Warriors, is that sort of? I don't know. I don't want. I don't want to say tarnish his legacy, but does that leave some fans still skeptical that he hasn't necessarily passed LeBron or you know gotten onto that same playing field?
1: I'm not of the mindset that. Kevin Durant going to the Warriors and winning a championship, if they do do that, puts him at a different level. Um, I just think he went to the prohibitive favorite with or without him, and obviously he's a great, great player, and I expect them to win. Uh, uh, As much as that, if he had stayed in Oklahoma City and run up against a better Warrior team, year after year and wasn't able to win a championship, I wouldn't have downgraded his legacy because of that. I think we put far too much uh, of this question of a player's legacy into the hands of whether they won championships or how many championships they won, which takes away from uh, the team aspect. So much of how much you win in this league is based on who you play with, and who you play against. And that Kevin Durant is now playing with other Hall of Fame caliber players doesn't raise to me, in my eyes, his legacy. I thought he is a great player. I think he's, uh, whether he joined the Warriors or not, uh, his accomplishments are off the chart. And so I don't think he should look at it as I'm trying to get on the same level as lebron kevin durant uh takes a backseat to no one in today's nba uh he's that good and he's had a great great year that was marred a little bit by injury at the very end but man this guy's a spectacular scorer which we all know but he's developed into an excellent passer a terrific defender and a, a, a terrific rebounder as well.
0: Just in general, is there something about the series that you're most interested to see?
1: I'm not really interested to see anything other than, I mean, everything is interesting, but I'm, I'm really interested in watching Kevin Love trying to find a balance between facing the floor behind the three-point line uh, to give James and Irving uh, the requisite space they need to get to the basket area uh, and taking advantage of his greatest strength, which is offensive rebounding. Thought last year in game seven, he got a couple critical offensive rebounds after not playing very effectively throughout the series. I think he's got to be on the right balance there. And then I'm also looking forward to those head-to-head matchups between Curry and Irving when they get matched up in individual situations and Durant and James. To me, that's the real fascinating part from a fan standpoint. There's a lot of team component, team things that both teams need to do to win, but from a fan standpoint, those two matchups and Kevin Love, I- I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Since this is uh, LeBron's seventh consecutive NBA Finals, the comparisons to Michael Jordan have ramped up. Um, I want to ask, not necessarily to compare the two of them but um what do you just what do you think period about the conversation that this discussion is so frequent now that people are comparing them at all
1: well in general comparison is the thief of joy right in that it dem- diminishes one at the expense of somebody else and I, that's why i think those comparisons sometimes um are so heated because inevitably somebody gets diminished. But if you're talking about the two players' careers, um, you have to understand that LeBron James is still in his prime, and he's adding these great, great years still to his legacy. And he's going to play a lot longer uh, than Michael Jordan. And so far the comparison as far as of their careers, forget the individual players, but of their careers, it, it's it's okay to do that. I, I think they're in the same ballpark. LeBron James, even though he's lost in the finals, having gotten there uh, seven consecutive years uh, is an incredible feat. And having done it with two different teams, Uh, I think him getting to the finals in 2007 with a very limited team was his greatest accomplishment uh, because they didn't have much besides him. They got swept by San Antonio. But I think it's absolutely fair to start talking about these two players uh, and their careers in the same breath. Now I've, I've heard a lot of people say James isn't Jordan and everybody can have their opinion. But LeBron James and his career, at the end of the day, I think uh, it would be hard to argue that he doesn't have one of the top three or four careers of all time in our league.
2: When looking at LeBron James, I mean, seven straight years, it's quite an impressive number. But when I look at the bigger picture in the NBA, uh, there have really only been three teams that have won an NBA title in the last five years. You've got the Spurs, Warriors, and then Team LeBron. Uh, when you look at the NBA, does that I don't know? Does it kind of take away from the fact that there isn't so much parity in the league as you know we are accustomed to in other sports such as baseball or football? Or does that kind of add some somewhat of a mystique that we have? You know, both of these. Uh, you know teams the Warriors and the Cavs going at it for the third straight year and just having LeBron in the finals each year
1: well I think LeBron James is so good that whosever team he goes to in the Eastern Conference is the favorite right so I'm not sure there's a team that he could join uh, right now in his prime in the East that you wouldn't say they're the favorite I, I think he's that good and so Unfortunately, in the Eastern Conference, there haven't been a lot of worthy challengers recently. Now, when he was with Miami, Indiana challenged them uh, for a couple years, but right now, since he's been back in Cleveland, uh, you know, the, team, the that that challenger uh, in the East just hasn't risen up like you would have hoped. A lot of that is due to he's that good. Uh, this, to me, if, if they're able to win this final, this would be his greatest accomplishment uh, because this is such a talented team in the Warriors and they have such a talent differential going into this series that I think for them to have a chance, James would have to play extraordinary for how many other games it goes uh, and then get incredible help and some incredible help maybe that we didn't expect, somebody off the bench. Uh, But certainly, um, you know, Golden State is, you know, that has that big a talent gap. And usually when you have the talent advantage, you win in this league.
0: Is the lack of parity in the NBA a problem?
1: I don't think greatness is ever a problem, but I do think there's a problem when you don't get pushed. And this year... Neither team has been pushed. Like you guys mentioned, last year, Oklahoma City pushed them, uh, Golden State. The year before, Memphis pushed uh, Golden State. So, and even last year, Toronto, to some degree, pushed uh, Cleveland to six games. I mean, there's, you need to have worthy challengers on your way towards uh, a matchup that maybe everyone wants to see without it i think it does it does these it does the nba playoffs lost some luster this year because there wasn't any challenges to those two dominant teams
2: yeah, and Coach. Uh, we are looking forward to the start of the NBA Finals coming up here on Thursday, and uh, you can of course follow ABC and ESPN for full NBA Finals coverage. But uh, the last series that uh, you called was the, uh, the the Spurs Warriors, and toward the end of it, I, w- I was watching the game, and it was it was quite remarkable to see the the reception that uh, the San Antonio fans gave to Manu Ginobili. Uh, kind of assuming that it was going to be his last game in a Spurs uniform. And you noted that, that it was uh, quite exceptional and, and and something that you just don't see from uh, many fan bases. Uh, when you're looking at uh, Manu's legacy with the Spurs and just that reception, uh, as, a, as a former coach and as someone who is passionate about the game, uh, what does that mean for you to be able to, I guess, witness that in person and just to see his legacy just play out like that?
1: Well, Ginobili, so old now that I actually got to coach against him. And uh, the one thing that Ginobili combined was great flair for the game with an incredible competitor's heart. You did not out-compete Ginobili. Uh, And so you had to have guys who were street fighters uh, to go up against this guy because he's that great a competitor. And I think San Antonio has been blessed with watching this for 14 or 15 years. And because of those two qualities, you become endearing to your fan base. And I think what the San Antonio fan base was doing on that night, and I think it started with Greg Popovich electing to start Ginobili in game four against the Warriors, was they got to send him off, whether it is his last game or not showing Ginobili just how much he was appreciated in his time. And the San Antonio fan is a great fan. It's a loyal fan, and I think their players earn every bit of that loyalty by the way they conduct themselves off the court and on the court. And nobody has been a better ambassador for San Antonio Spur basketball than Manu Ginobili. By how well he played but more importantly by how hard he competed
0: and then just to finish up our discussion looking forward to next season the Rockets had such a great year but I do think that there was a serendipitous quality to it all how great the players around Harden played that Harden benefited from the increased pace is it realistic or unrealistic to think that the Rockets could actually do better next season
1: Well, I think they could advance deeper in the playoffs next year, certainly. I think they could win uh, and get into the conference finals. But I don't see the regular season record uh, improving uh, without a roster change, nor, too, do I think they could um, have any better chance of beating the Warriors without a roster change. I thought the, the Rockets maxed out their talent this year as well as any team in the NBA. I think Mike D'Antoni and James Harden had spectacular seasons. As you mentioned, Hunter, Daryl Morey did a good job in adding shooting around uh, James Harden. So when you add Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon and then Lou Williams during the season, you've given Harden more space uh, to work his magic uh, running the pick and roll or driving in isolation. So it was a well constructed team that was coached very well by Mike D'Antoni and run exceptionally well by James Harden. But I don't see them being able to necessarily move up in the standing, uh, or, or have a better record next year unless their roster changes uh, and they were add, they were able to add another superstar talent which I think would be hard to do. Um, So I think they'll have another great year, but the Warriors are in this dynasty run, uh, and it's going to be very challenging to break
2: through. I think Rockets fans were a little bit disappointed in how the season turned out, especially those last two games against the Spurs. But, uh, again, we have Coach Jeff Van Gundy on the, on the Weekly Brew Podcast right now. And, Coach, it's always great to have you on the show. And, of course, you're en route to uh, the Bay Area right now to, to cover Game 1 for ESPN. Uh, what does the coverage look like for uh, you guys throughout the throughout the finals?
1: We're going to absolutely suffocate people and fans with opinions and game analysis, and sometimes, for me, I don't know about you guys as fans, it becomes overwhelming and overbearing. So the days of just turning on the game to watch the game, that no longer uh, happens. As you guys well know, uh, it's going to be on every platform of the uh, ESPN uh, broadcast. There's going to be multiple, as you guys use the word, hot takes on um How game one went so we're going to have you know whoever wins it is going to be the best team of all time whoever loses it has no chance and and their players are underachieving so sometimes that can be overdone but there certainly will be no shortage of coverage for the nba fan he'll get as much coverage as he wants both on our networks on espn and abc and then nba tv
0: a uh, a suffocating and overwhelming Jeff Van Gundy is my favorite kind. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us. Thanks so much, Coach.
1: Absolutely. Good talking to you guys, and uh, I really enjoyed being with you.
2: Closing time. Thanks to Coach Jeff Van Gundy for joining us on this special episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. NBA Finals tip off Thursday night, and of course, we are a Houston-based podcast, and I know that we're a little bit disappointed in a city that the Rockets uh, were bounced in the uh, second round of the playoffs by the San Antonio Spurs, but this is the matchup that I think everyone anticipated. This is the third straight year that the Cavs and the Warriors are going to be facing each other. It's the, uh, the third installment of the series, if you will, and uh, favorites, pretty straightforward. It's Golden State, heavy favorites. Do they pull it off? They were favored last year. And, of course, the Cavaliers shocked the world coming back from a 3-1 deficit. And uh, as Coach Jeff Van Gundy said, they have LeBron James. You cannot count them out. Now, of course, he did say that the Warriors have all the tools. And talent mostly wins out. But uh, great insight there from uh, Coach Jeff Van Gundy. And uh, thanks to Hunter for helping us get that interview. And uh, also, he mentioned the Rockets. Are they going to be as good next year? Are they going to have that same win total? I found it interesting that uh, Coach suggested that they might not have the win total and all the, the stats and the placement in the Western Conference next year, but they might be able to go further in the playoffs. Now, he did stop short and say, you've got to look at the Warriors as being that team as of right now that is the favorite again next season in the West. But things can change with free agency. The Rockets need another piece to complement James Harden. Who could that be? We'll find out here in a few weeks after the NBA draft. Once free agency, uh, you know, gets into that uh, that haymaker to see which which players go where. Uh, Daryl Morey has a knack for making moves that make this roster tick. And uh, you've got to have faith that uh, next year the Rockets can do one step better and have that goal of getting to the Western Conference Finals so they do have that puncher's chance to knock out the Golden State Warriors. But again, game one of the NBA Finals tips off Thursday night in Golden State and of course you can follow everything uh, through our social media platform. Search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. We'll be tweeting and posting uh, throughout the NBA Finals and of course you can follow Jeff Van Gundy uh, just tune into the games. He'll be sitting courtside uh, calling this uh, mammoth of a series. I think it's a series that everyone wanted. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed the interview and uh, again thanks to Hunter Atkins for joining me with that interview and uh, arranging that interview and also thanks to Coach Jeff Van gundy for joining us for the second time on the weekly brew podcast and on behalf of my co-host for this bonus episode hunter atkins my name is austin staten we'll see you next week
1: you've been listening to the weekly brew